Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You are listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and today we finish up a four-episode discussion with Dr. Dan Spanger and Pastor Keith Winder on race, ethnicity, and the church. We promised at the start not to offer any quick or easy answers, and if you've been listening all along, you will notice that we've kept our word. We also promised to engage the issue of race and church through the lens of Scripture first, and I think we've laid some helpful groundwork in that direction as well. But in this final episode, we consider how to begin to have a conversation about racial justice as a church family how to listen to each other wisely and generously. We discuss just how Wheatland's elders are doing this together, and in the end, we offer a few beginning and practical steps that you can take to join the discussion with us. Thanks for coming along. Welcome back, Wheatland Church. This is podcast number four on the issue of racism uh, in America, uh, racism and culture, race and justice, that whole large category. And we, we thought we'd end at three, which seemed very Trinitarian pastors. And then we went <laughs> past the Trinitarian framework, and now we're at yeah. number four. Right? Let's call it three plus one. Three that plus somehow one. that we get that Trinitarian. It doesn't go beyond the Trinity. This is now the <laughs> right. unity of the Trinity. Yeah, right? that's right. We've, we've stretched the theological metaphor to the breaking point here. Uh, in the in the fourth one, the last one uh, for the time being, um, the pastors Luke and Keith really want to talk some some more practical things. Maybe some wrap up summary about what where we've been. And I think um, both of you have received some feedback from the community that uh, they're enjoying the fact that we're talking through these things and wrestling. And something you said, uh, Luke, as we've gone over this series, is less solving problems and more modeling how to maybe talk about problems or how to address some of these things. So, I think it's had that impact. Yeah, maybe, maybe gentlemen and, and, and Pastor Luke, we can start with you uh, here and say that one of the things that's come out of our conversations is that the, the church, um, the church itself is not the one necessarily that's going to solve the world's problems, but it has a very profound responsibility to be a witness to mm-hmm. God in this space. Can you can you unpack that a little? Yeah, I think that's a that's an excellent way to sort of frame what we're doing here on this podcast mm-hmm. what we're what we're hoping to to be first for our own congregation and our own community and I, I think we talked a little bit about that we're certainly um, the more that we can focus on conversations and issues in our own community as they relate to the problems that are in front of us rather than speaking, Um, definitively for all times and all places into this big discussion that keeps going on nationally. I think the more practical answers that we come up with in our own place and space, actually the more progress we're making in being what you've just identified, a light and an outpost of the kingdom of heaven in our own little place here on the corner of President Avenue and Columbia. So yeah, this what we're doing here is modeling uh, a way to live with each other and with the issues in our own time and place with humility, but also with a without feeling like we have nothing to do or to say to the problems that are here because we are people who believe with all of our hearts that God has made himself known by his word and in Jesus. And that has, uh, that's our guiding principle as we work through all of these hard discussions. And Pastor Keith, one, one of the things that, that we've chatted about also is, is this idea of witnessing to God in this space is maybe in one sense freeing. Um, our, we're not responsible to fix everything, but maybe it's even a higher calling to actually stand as witnesses to the God who Himself is justice, right? Who who will not who will not allow injustice to happen under His reign. So is this 
does this free the church or does it does it make it harder for us to actually address problems like this that that's that's what we're actually attempting to do here yeah i guess it does both in a sense it it frees us in that we uh, that god in revealing himself provides the standard or the rule uh, by which we live i'm thinking uh early in deuteronomy so let's say it's between chapters one and four when uh, before Moses sort of brings out the summary of the law and God says, you know, here's my statutes, here, here's my righteous, my, my good law. And when you live this way, the nations will, will look and say, this is a paraphrase. The nations will look and say, wow, uh, we see what their well, God the Hebrew, is. Hebrew, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Hebrew. Yeah. Wow. 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 Uh, wow. Let's see what their God is like. Mm. And so, so that in that way, I, I think it's freeing and difficult all at the same time. It's freeing because God says, th this is what I'm calling to you. Here it is. This is what I'm calling to you. It's revealed in the word. Hmm. And then it's difficult because now we have the task to reflect God's goodness, his righteousness and his love and mercy to the world so that the world looks at us hmm. and, and says, wow, look what their God is like. I mean, it's in the New Testament, of course, as well, that we're the light of the world. Hmm. and that we're, that we're witnesses. So I think it's both. I, I do find it freeing in that sense that I am not responsible to come up with perfect hmm. solutions to every problem, but hmm. that God is the one with the, the solutions. And now I try my best through the work of the spirit to live faithfully. Hmm. And that's, and, and we, and this is something too, that I think ties this together Christ, when he, when he defines the, the law, defines it as a self-sacrificial love of neighbor. And if that's who Christ is and what he's done, then does that, does that give us a little better structure to what you're saying? God's given us this law. He's told us what to do, and that is to give up yourself for the sake of your neighbor, um, to live out Christ's example. Is that, is that a same thing, or that's the mm -hmm. pattern that he set for us in that regard? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Dan. And I think that's something, you know, if we don't want to leave the topic of race. This, that's what this podcast is about. But if we zoom out for just a second, um, the entire Christian life, it, we've talked about in other places uh, in our life together here as a congregation, the Christian life is a life of cruciformity. Mm. It, it is a bearing of the cross. It is a real living sacrifice. And I think sometimes we take that language from Paul and we, we sort of reduce it down quite a bit to um, think a living sacrifice. Um, but, but, you know, where, where Paul in Corinthians says, present your bodies as living sacrifice, that this is actually the way in which we model and follow our savior is through cruciformity. And that is real sacrifice in many other places in our life. It's not just in um, laying down our wills or our desires. The, the, the life that we're called to is a life of sacrificing our bodies. Now <laughs> you could get into some crazy places when mm -hmm. you start talking about that. And I understand that. Um, and I'm not, that's not what this podcast is about, like sort of medieval monasticism and self-flagellation yeah, and all of that. But uh, the point is we have moved so far away from that idea um, and, and, and properly I, I, and helpfully, but I think we have forgotten that the call of Christ is to, as Bonhoeffer said, to come and die. Mm. And that I think comes back to this topic of, of um, race in, in really sobering ways, I think, for us. That's why I think Galatians 6 and the, the famous verses of bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ is so interesting because, I mean, first of all, yeah, it is, you, you can't bear someone else's burden or come alongside them as you bear it together without sacrificing something of yourself. And also it's going to be a weighty thing. And it's just interesting that that is what Paul says, fulfills the law of Christ. I think mm -hmm. that's what you're getting at in a sense, Luke, that this is the sort of life that we live, that Christ lived. And now we live 
um, unified to him and in, in, in imitation of him. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to say this is a category and, and laying out the prescriptive elements under what it looks like to hmm. die can, is a very dicey and tricky sort of business, but it has to be talked about. And I think for the most part, what we're trying to do is just recover that notion for the Christian life. And if we can recover that, then we can have some discussions underneath that. But I think the first place, what we're trying to do is set the conversation in that direction and with that orientation that this is what we can come to expect. And, and I mean, you can stretch that both ways. You can stretch that to the right. You can stretch that to the left. You can stretch that everywhere. And, um, but that's a, a fundamental orientation, I think, for us that is really hard for us. So I appreciate, gentlemen, because I think what this does is what you said from the beginning of this podcast is trying to frame these things within a theological rather than an other, and we can put political, social, cultural, whatever the mm -hmm. other framework would be, we want theological. So to bring it down from the theological framework to, to something specific, does this in some way allow us to love our neighbor in a depoliticized way? I mean, it, if, if this becomes the framework, and I'm, I'm thinking of my brothers and sisters in the church who are saying, every time I step out in public and do something, it's being evaluated publicly. I don't mm -hmm. want to be seen this. I don't want to be seen that. Right. If I, you know, and, but in a sense, if you don't wear your mask in giant, <laughs> how, how is that viewed uh, now that they've yeah changed their their protocols? Yeah, I, right. I, and so and so the world's determining what it means to love neighbor. But mm -hmm. but in a sense, I think the way you two are talking is to give of yourself to your neighbor and love whatever the world categorizes it as almost irrelevant. Right. Because my job is to find see my neighbor and reach out in self-sacrificial love. So, so in one sense, does this allow us to approach the issue of race? or our congregation in depoliticized, almost not a depoliticized, but almost yeah. ignoring the political implications. Is that safe to say? I think it is. And I think, but what it does is it consigns us <laughs> to be misunderstood and maligned as well. Right. Right. And that is part of the sacrifice. Um, right. And, and this, of course, this is, this happens as well. Uh, when you start talking about human sexuality, um, your, your uh, our commitments to uh, an orthodox view of human sexuality, and by orthodox, I just mean that human flourishing is found in male-female relationships in the way they're described in the scriptures. And um, our commitment to that also gets misunderstood and maligned, um, and for good reasons in some cases, because there are some corners of the church that have used that uh, in, in, in awful ways and, and, and in unkind ways. And I get all that and I know all that, but part of us, um, being faithful to the scriptures in this area of, of race as well, will find us in our community and in our culture, probably, um, from at different points along the spectrum and probably from both sides being misunderstood mm -hmm. and maligned. And Keith, does that, I mean, um, in one sense, right, we're, we're, we'll say that as Luke said, we're going to go out and love people regardless of what the world, they may not understand what we're doing, and that's one thing, but do we have the same problem that we've allowed these categories to infiltrate our own hearts and minds so that loving a neighbor now gets filtered through this political thought, this concern, this socioeconomic arrangement, like what, how practically do we fight those tendencies in our own heart and mind to actually do what we're talking about here? Yeah, I think it's it's really hard for us to not take the prescription uh, that we hear all around us and attach that to and and make that define love your neighbor. Hmm. So I think it's really yeah, I think it's it's very difficult for for me personally to not hear the term in the Bible love your neighbor and then look all around me outside of the scriptures and decide and be told this is what love your neighbor looks like. And it doesn't mean that, that society and culture can't be helpful sure. uh, in giving some practical ways to love, to love your neighbor. But, but for me to purely define it by what I see around me is, is really difficult. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's hard in a sense to start to put flesh on love of neighbor and not be unbelievably prescriptive and then mm -hmm. 
then now, then now I'm defining how everybody in our congregation must, must <laughs> love, must love neighbor. And right. we're all in different situations. We all have different skills, different gifts, and those right. sorts of things that would contribute in, in different ways in our congregation. Um, so that's why I do think that the thing we must be keep pushing on, what we must keep pushing on is, are you giving of yourself? Are you, are you being self-sacrificing hmm. in whatever situation you find hmm. yourself in whatever relationship you find yourself? I do think there are places in which we should be willing to push ourselves outside of our, the natural relationships that we have. Hmm. But, but I don't think that's a requirement for love of neighbor. Love of neighbor is self-sacrificing love and hmm. giving of yourself in the places you find you. Find you. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, sort of building on some of what Keith said is uh, that we are not just loving neighbor um, abstractly. I mean, there is a point to our work here in this community, and that is to reflect. And, and Keith, I'm not suggesting that you're saying that's what we're doing, is we're just out there sacrificially loving in, in the abstract. I, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying that what, when we do that, the, the place that this is going is so that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Like what we're doing, all of this is not just to sort of check off boxes. Mm. We are in the middle of a story of God renewing his world and bringing all nations um, such as we see at Pentecost, such as we see in Revelation, where around the throne uh, of heaven, worshiping God are people from every tribe and nation and race and language. Um, so we are part of that story somehow. Mm -hmm. And, and when we are, when we're thinking about this sort of cross-culturally and, 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 and that in, in, the, in those veins uh, along those lines, what we're doing is actually um, leaning toward uh, the reality that we see coming. And we're trying to do that in this arena, as well as a lot of other arenas, or whether it's um, whether it is God's uh, faithfulness for sexuality, God's, God's uh, prescriptions in, in, in all of these other arenas. I think it's not just abstract is, is what I'm trying to get at. It's actually part of who the church is becoming more and more as she grows. Maybe I want to go on to one other thing, but I'll just make this one statement. Um, and if, if you want to push back on it, please do. Yeah. Um, but I, it seems to me when, when we engage culture, we hear things we agree with and we don't know where to draw the line. We don't agree and we feel pushed and shoved by culture mm -hmm. to act in certain ways, left and right, mm -hmm. wherever we listen. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I've, I've drawn this conclusion over the years that the culture, human culture does a very good job of showing us what's wrong and a really poor job of showing us how to get it right. Hmm. And, I, and I don't know if I, I find that helpful only to say to to folk, if, if you're if you're hearing this and the, and the culture is pointing out racial problems, listen carefully. It's, it's probably got something to say. But when it starts prescribing solutions, hmm. it's probably wandering far afield of right. the gospel definition. And I think to your point, when we do what the gospel calls us to do. The world's not really going to understand that or understand that to be justice or pursuing justice, but we don't expect the world to understand it. Yeah. Right. Anyway. And that's, and that's where it takes this work that we're doing together as a family takes courage and, yeah. and yeah. courage and compassion at every turn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think, oh, Dan, I, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It, it's, and, but I think what we do is then we, we take some of the, the, we take, our culture's society's work of identifying problems. And then we take that and we reframe that under the umbrella of sin. Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm, why mm -hmm. our solutions end up being different right. than, than the cultural solution. Um, because they can point out all the practice because sin's pretty obvious when you look around the world. So we're, we're not hiding yeah. it. I'm not hiding mine very well. And none of us are hiding. Well, Dan, you're hiding yours exceptionally well, but everybody else isn't. <laughs> And so, That's not the right background for my actual <laughs> office here. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, sin is obvious. And so everyone's going to point it out, but they might not use that word. Yeah. They're going to point out the problems and, and the way things are broken, the way things are unjust. And that's all good. I think we take that, we reframe it under sin hmm. and, and see it as all those things are accurate. All those, hmm. all those descriptions of our struggles are accurate. 
the root of that is sin and sin mm. plays out in all these different relationships and all these systems and all these and all these different areas of our culture yeah. and that gives the church them a way to start looking mm. at at a solution which ultimately is jesus and then it's jesus playing uh it's jesus and his life working through the church mm. and i i think it's interesting as we think about that theological reframing which i think is one of the things that we've tried to say throughout all of these is we want to hear very, very patiently and carefully all the things are going on, but we don't stop there. We, we are theolo- reframing all this theologically um, according to the scriptures. And when I say reframing theologically, that sounds like sort of hoity-toity or whatever. <laughs> no, basically what we're doing is hearing the cries of our brothers and sisters and then knowing that, I mean, this is just bare stuff that Jesus is the answer <laughs> and, and, and bringing the gospel to these right. situations. But I, I think that when you hear uh, the other solutions that get offered in our, in our culture, in our time, in our space for the real cries, um, that's where we're able to begin to see, oh, this is where if you don't have a thoroughgoing doctrine of sin, of depravity, Mm -hmm. of the way that sin actually, sin is oriented to fracture relationships. Like that is, that is how sin is introduced in the world. Mm -hmm. That is where sin is always going. It's ripping apart relationships first off between God and his, his creation, humanity, who were, he was meant to have union with and fellowship with. And then immediately Mm -hmm. it turns from that fracturing to fracturing one another. And so it's not just that we have an idea that sin fractures human relationships. And so now we've got a category, but our doctrine of depravity tells us that we can expect to find all sorts of thoroughgoing brokenness and, and foolishness in human relationships. And, and of course, as a student of history, Dan, you've watched that play out over and over. Let me go to something that's even a tad more practical than this. And I think, Keith, this is something you've brought up. Um, and, and if we start from the point, and I, I think this is really helpful, right, that the, the, what we're seeing in society and culture, racism is the one we're dealing with today, but all of them really, Scripture tells us, comes from a broken relationship between man and God. And therefore, we're all broken. It's an amazing thing because our culture doesn't start from that point. It starts from some people are broken, some people are not. Mm-hmm. We're all broken. And, and I wonder, Keith, and I think you've said this before, that one of the indications that we are not aware of our brokenness is that we tend to listen to people with suspicion, suspicion that somehow if I listen to their problems or hear it, I'm going to be taken in by their views on this, that I'm, that, that, that they're not going to understand what's important to me, or somehow we, we don't, aren't willing to listen to people in sort of an honest way um, is one of the ways of addressing this sin as the broken part of all of our relationships, really just learning to listen without starting at the point of suspicion. Yeah. I, Absolutely. I, I really like how you said it there at the end, that, that the starting point is to learn, to listen. Yeah, to learn without the starting point being suspicion. And that particularly when I'm listening to someone who I assume or I know is going to see something differently and from a different angle or a different perspective, that as a Christian, and even speaking to the sort of depravity that Luke's talking about, if I recognize myself as a that every aspect of myself is tainted by sin, particularly the way that I listen. Yeah. If I go into a relationship and a conversation without understanding, hopefully I'm able to hear what someone's saying with a more generous ear. Mm. That my first thought, and we, we, we talk about this anytime you th- think about a good way to listen in a conversation, that we tend to listen so we know how to respond well which is of course what we're trying to do here, which makes podcasts awkward. Because when you're asking a question, I'm trying to think of how to respond. But in relationships, I think that's, that's the worst thing that we can do. The thing we should be doing is listening so people feel, feel heard and that we are generous and uh, 
and willing to actually hear where they're coming from and what their thoughts are. And then if it takes us a few moments to think through our response afterwards, and then that's okay. But yeah, I, I think about in Matthew 7 with Jesus talking about sort of taking the, the log out of your own eye before dealing with the speck in someone else's. And it seems in a sense like he's pushing back on this idea of being suspicious uh, of other people. I mean, I know that there's other things going on, but one way that it could be applied is sort of pushing back on this suspicion of others. Like Luke saying, if we are totally depraved, if every single aspect of my heart has been affected by sin, then if I'm thinking specifically about racism, then I should assume that there is going to be within me some tendency to see people of other races in a negative way. And if I don't think that, and I'm not saying that I should assume I'm a racist, but I should assume that my depravity, my sin affects every aspect of my being in some way. Mm. And so that must move me to listen to other people, uh, particularly in this conversation on race and justice. It should move me to listen to other people with generosity and, and openness, not suspicion. And I think sort of building on this discussion that you all are having, um, I've, I've said this, I feel like I've made this point three or four times, maybe four times now since this is our fourth podcast. But I, that is why it is paramount that the church be having this discussion. Because what we, I think what our people, like what your average church goer here at Wheatland is really looking for is a place that it's not that we're unwilling to have this discussion as much as it is we're looking for a place where we can trust one another and have this discussion because I think to sort of play devil's advocate at one level with what you guys are saying there is a sense in which probably there's a healthy suspicion in some areas about where this conversation is going. You know, I, I think if you walk into certain spaces, certain corners of the internet, you probably ought to have a bit of healthy suspicion <laughs> about how that discussion is going. But when we come home in a sense and are face to face, as we are not right now in this podcast, but when we come together and are face to face as a family, like this is the place where we have to be patient and generous because we are covenanted together. We, there is one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Um, and, and so anyway, all I'm, all I'm really getting at is this is the place to have that discussion. And if, if, if we're not having it here, I think it just makes for our people, for us as pastors, it makes it really hard to know who you can trust in one sense. Um, and that's why I think wise guiding voices are really helpful for us. And isn't it, isn't it true too, that, that when we, and I, I'm thinking about the way you use the word generosity, Keith, that um, a lot of the conversations we have with someone, let's say someone different than ourselves, socioeconomically, racially, that, that our public discourse has characterized, caricaturized that person into something, right? Turned them into something. They're angry at me. They don't, I've, I've had this interaction with African-Americans. I know where my assumption is already, they think I'm a racist as I walk into the conversation because that's, that's the framing that's happened. And so I, I am not talking to a person. I'm actually talking to a caricature that's been drawn for me by whatever media I'm listening to. And I think what this is saying is that as hard as it is, we have to, and I'm thinking of how Jesus deals with Romans, a centurion, he, he ignores the caricature of the Roman centurion and actually mm. deals with them like a human being. Uh, mm. is, is that, is that a way to help us see what de talking with someone generously means is actually putting those things aside long enough to actually hear the person sitting right in front of me. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like the use of the, of Jesus with the Roman centurion. I, mm. I, I completely agree. And I think I'm not saying that all this stuff wouldn't have happened in the last year and a half and that it, we would have had a much better tone in our country <laughs> if we weren't separated because of COVID. Uh, I, I got to think it would have been a little better. Hmm. Uh, I, have to, I have to imagine that our, our, our conversation would have been a bit better just because in my personal experience, the more time I spend away from someone, 
the more, the more suspicious I may become of the things that I hear them say or the things that I know that they do. Right. And then when I get in the same room and I sit down with someone and I have a conversation, it's, yeah, you, you tend, you are drawn back towards someone's humanity. Uh, when you are in a room with someone, you're actually spending time with someone. And so that's, it's so important mm -hmm. to have this sort of face-to-face -face things because, yeah, it's much harder to treat someone like a caricature when they're right in front of you. I mean, you can mm -hmm. still do it, of course, but there is something, really yeah, because there's something that matters about our bodies and being together and being physically in a space with one another and having human contact that reminds us of, of our humanity. Mm -hmm. I know where this is all going. Keith, as the pastor uh, to care groups, this is like a shameless plug now, isn't it, <laughs> Winder? You're just, this is manipulative, Keith. Sure. Four no, podcasts in, we finally figured it out. Or maybe I'll capitalize on it and say, what a great opportunity to hear that and to mm -hmm. remember that um, I, you know, one, an hour on Sunday morning just doesn't seem well, okay, after last week, an hour and a half on <laughs> Sunday morning just doesn't seem to be enough. It just can't bear the weight of the relationships that we're meant to be um, cultivating in our lives with each other. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been making fun of Luke a lot recently. Well, normally, but really recently <laughs> that every time he has a face-to-face -face conversation with someone, he often comes back and is like, hey, I just had a really great conversation with dot, dot, dot. And he doesn't give me the details. I'm not interested in the details, but he often says, I just had a really great conversation. And I now make fun of him. And I say, every single conversation you have is a really great conversation. Have you not had a really great conversation? Yeah. But I, but I wonder if there's something to the fact that, yeah, when we are with one another, I can think of so many times that I have felt like I was at odds with someone. And then we sat down and talked about what I felt like we were at odds with. And I, you do come away from that thinking, oh, okay, they're human. I have issues mm -hmm. and struggles. And I see, I see things much better now that we've sat down. And you could walk away like Luke and say, we had a really great conversation <laughs> out of that. So, so that, that means that you know, trying to find the human being on the other side of the caricature um, the opportunity to just sit and speak. And then, and we've, we've had that, I think if I think of my own life, I've got these little circuits I run in, I go from school to home and I got my kids and I got these places. Um, and there's lots of people sort of right around me that I can turn into coworkers or I can turn into the person that's too slow behind the cash register. Or I can turn into, well, there aren't cash registers anymore. So I don't know what, the, <laughs> whatever it is, but, but that in a sense, we do have to break out of, right. And we do have to break out of some of these spaces. If we see people no longer as, you know, where they belong in society, but a human being, these, these sort of spaces open up to say, I, I want to ask how that person's doing. I don't just see a person that belongs to socioeconomic class or that race. I see a human being that's probably struggling with who knows what. And I, I know I've done this because I, I, I had a, used to work with a guy in the inner city when I was a kid and he was six foot four, Wendell Brown, little really big um, black guy that I just adored. But when I first met him, I was terrified. I'm just huge. He was a massive guy. He was like six foot four, 280 pounds, all muscle. Um, but he was struggling with all sorts of things I didn't realize he was struggling with until I got to know him. And I thought, why didn't I get to that first? I got to the, mm. this is a really big guy that, that has this, I don't understand what he's looking at when he looks at me to, oh, this is a guy struggling with human things like any other person is struggling. Like, does that, that creates these avenues. And so do we have to do that? Do we have to get outside of our little spaces and our, our little caricatures break in. And I think that's hard for a lot of us to do. What's the practical advice for doing that? I get around people I know, my care group included, but mm -hmm. how do I get outside of that to do those sorts of things? I, I think the first thing is just to pray about it, yeah. is to ask God to give you opportunities to interact with people uh, and to ask God to give you chances and to shape your heart that changes people and moves them away from a caricature or moves them away from how hmm. people have been portrayed and, and move them towards in your mind being an image bearer and, and a human that reflects Jesus. And so I, my dad's always a huge proponent of, if you pray for something good, like if you pray for good opportunities, an opportunity that will shape you, 
not if you pray for something good, like the prosperity gospel, that's not what I mean. But if you pray and ask God, like, give me these opportunities, I am broken and I need to have, I, I long to have these interactions. I long to have these opportunities that God will give you opportunities for those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it happened right away. It's not going to be like, can you do this in an hour? And it happens. But if that becomes the longing of our heart to be, to have opportunities to move out of uh, our natural flow of relationships, then, then eventually these things will happen in, in prayer and also us taking little practical steps of, of considering, okay, what's one place that I can be involved in that will give me different relationships than I have now? I, I think those are the things. It's just to take little tiny steps that opens you up to different relationships and different interactions. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, oh, go ahead, Dan. I was gonna say that's helpful because I think we often, I think we've said this in previous podcasts, we're always trying to, these massive changes we're trying to make and there's these little things right around us. I, I, I just think of how often I've talked to friends and, and rather than leading with talking, leading with listening or, or just trying to, you know, they call me or want to talk to me, how impactful that is, but it was something very simple. I just took the time to ask a question mm-hmm. and let them talk. So that sounds practical, and- but it, yeah, and, and small, but it's not. Yeah, and I, and I think as we as we're considering on this podcast, um, the race in our country and the uh, tensions that are there, I think um, one of the ways to begin to um, is to do this self inventory that asks uh, sort of where what do I need to hear in this conversation? Like where, where do my ears need to be open in these conversations around me rather than um, beginning? I, I just think that's another layer of prayer in all of this is that who, what are some conversations that I have to have with Dan or with Keith or with um, uh, someone else, a, a session member or with a friend, where, where do I need to, uh, and, and, because I think <clears throat> what, what we found in the church is that there are always um, places of particular and peculiar gifting. And by peculiar, I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean, wow, that's a really odd gift. There's no place for that here. Although I have, uh, There's been a few. All, the puppet ministry may be one, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. To all you puppet ministry fans. They just got, now Gerald, I shouldn't say that, uh, but they put Gerald in the bed spot. Oh, uh, that's right. Sorry, Jay. Um, but no, the, I, I think that's an interesting thing for us to consider with this uh, as we talk about, you know, steps forward for people who are really wrestling with this is to say, you know, I think there are people that are particularly gifted um, for uh cross-cultural ministry and there are probably other people who are not as gifted and and how is God so God equips the church to do his work in his world by giving gifts Mm -hmm. and um, not everyone is given the same gift in equal measure Mm -hmm. I I uh, so I'm if I can be anecdotal for a minute um, I found myself really drawn to Hispanic culture when I was thrust into a situation where I was um, working in a bilingual church plant in Dallas, Texas in the PCA, not because I had always dreamed of being engaged in cross-cultural ministry, but uh, if I'm going to be honest, uh, a big wealthy white church in Dallas had planted this church um, and they paid me to go and work at this church. Um, and that sounds really uh, authentic. Yes, exactly. But at, at the same time, when I became immersed in that, I, my heart was opened to new ways of seeing the world, new ways of relating to my brothers and sisters. I began to learn broken Spanish. I, I, I had amazing things happen because God had moved in a way that was totally beyond me, as Keith was saying about praying for, I was praying for money, and this is how <laughs> God God opened it up. Uh, but I, I, I just think that we find, and I found limitations as well in my own giftings in, in, in that context. And I found new places of frustration with aspects of Hispanic culture that bumped up against my own um, Anglo culture, uh, and, and, you know, but not, not just because these were, this was a new experience. Anyway, 
all that to say that God gives gives his church gifts and um, it's not all in the same measure in every person. And that's mm. the reality of our life together. And that's why we need each other. That's also why we listen to our brothers and sisters, particularly within our own churches, who uh, we listen with generosity and openness to the discussions that they're having. So in, in this, as we as we look for conversations, um, and Keith, I think you've been advocating that we, we break out of even some of those spaces we've grown comfortable in, whatever that may be, our local community, where, where we live, the people we normally hang out with, maybe even at work. Um, in, in light of all of that and what we're trying to accomplish, um, Jesus, Jesus seems to hold up as a great value, as Paul does, and I think you've brought up Romans 12, this, this idea that you, you just mourn with those that mourn. And is, that, is, is there a theological framing for us also here about how we engage things like race differently than the world's going to engage it? Is it enough just to sit with a brother or sister and simply just mourn with, the, with their experiences that they've had without trying to fix it and solve it? I think you've made that point before, but what is it like? Is it enough? What's it like just to weep with someone who's weeping? It has to be the first thing that we do. And we are so quick to skip it mm. and, mm. and try to come up with solutions. I think about mm. every time you watch the news and you see um, someone shot by the police or you see, you see anything that, that happens. And, and the, I mean, when you watch the news, it's within five minutes and they're, they're trying to figure out who did what, who's to blame, whether someone is going to be arrested, whether someone's going to be suspended. And I think those are all questions that, that we have to ask and, and, and culturally have to work through. But we forget something that is deeply important, especially when you're thinking about relationships and especially when you're thinking about justice and the way that God has set up the world is for us to, to weep with those who are weeping and for us to, to lament uh, to lament that something that is unjust or something that is the not shalom that is not peace is happening in the world and i think that's hard in the sense of well what if i'm not around someone who i can come alongside them and weep with them i think that as a church you can you can weep with those who weep even if you're not necessarily in proximity to them mm -hmm. so i think on a sunday morning if something horrific happens in our country throughout during the week, whatever it is, whether it's a, a, an incident that's related to race or not, we, we can take up psalms of lament uh, with our brothers and sisters as, as a church, knowing that they are lamenting at this time as well. So I think proximity is helpful. And eventually, I think it's necessary to actually be in relationship with people. But even if you're not, and you're thinking, well, how do I, how do I weep with those who are weeping when I'm not even in relationship with African-American brothers and sisters on a regular basis. I think you come on a Sunday morning and we, we lament using the Psalms together. And that is uh, still in a sense what Paul's asking us to do when he says to weep with those who weep. Can I jump off of that a minute, Dan? I just think that when we um, consider that the Psalms are the prayer book of God's, I'm gonna get theological here for a minute again, because- Not I a think, problem, I don't think. Yeah, this is really <laughs> helpful. Um, so it, it, it is, I don't think it's incidental to me. I, okay, I'm making some connections off the top of my head here. So this may all be edited. This may never make it on air. <laughs> Keith may invalidate all this. It's by a vote of two. Power of winder. Yeah. Um, but it, so <clears throat> it is, it is no surprise to me that our modern evangelical and reformed churches sometimes have trouble, and it's not just us, but it, it, it is us too as a subset of our world in general. Um, we have trouble with this idea of weeping with those who weep and rushing right to other things. Um, I don't think it's incidental that we also have trouble with the Psalms themselves, um, because when we read the Psalms, we think well, uh, this is great, but that doesn't, I don't feel like that. Mm. Uh, if we read a, a, one of the difficult lament Psalms, let's say Psalm 88, where it never turns hopeful. Mm. Like we're okay with the Psalms that sort of, oh yeah, it's really hard. These people are persecuting me, but 
God is for me and he will bring me out. How, you know, that sort of thing. But so it, it, when we read something like Psalm 88, what we tend to do is to say, oh, I just can't connect with that because that's not my experience. Mm. But when we reframe the Psalms to say, actually, these Psalms are not just describing your personal experience in the world and your personal relationship with God. The Psalms are given to God's people as a hymn book and a prayer book because they actually truly describe what it means to look, what it means for humans to live in a world that's broken and relate to the world and to God. This is a, I, I think of the Psalms as an anatomy book of relationship between God and his children. Hmm. And, and when we come to the Psalms and are able to say, this may not be my experience, this is actually, there's no question, Psalm 88 is not my experience, but this is the experience of God's people somewhere at some time, and maybe actually currently right now somewhere sometime, not hmm. just at some distant point in history. Then I think that allows us to come to the Psalms in, in, in a different way. And so when they're not our own experience, then we are weeping with those who weep in mm. a sense, because mm. they are the experience of God's people somewhere, someplace, and they are authentic in that regard. Just because they're not mine doesn't mean they're not authentic. And I think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, that's helpful, Luke, because that's, that's really good, because the Psalms are for us. The Psalms are for us as individuals. The Psalms are for us as a local church. And the Psalms are for us as the church present and throughout history. And so that way we can read them uh, with and on behalf of others, even if we, yeah, even if, as you're saying, Luke, this is not, I don't know, this is my experience, but we can read them with and on behalf of others. And that's taking Romans 12 into account. So this, this might be cutting badly across the cultural current right now to say that what you seem to be saying is that my feelings are not the reference point for acting justly. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's saying where you have, where we have trouble with um, acknowledging, and, and that's why I keep coming back to how important it is to have this discussion in the church. When we, cut, when we come back to our brothers and sisters in our church's experience, um, we at least have to listen and hear those, even though they're not our experience. Um, and we have to listen wisely and patiently um, because of this principle of weeping with those who weep and acknowledging that every experience can't be our experience. So here, I'm hearing two things, and maybe pastors, you can help me navigate these two things, because I've heard two in this set alone, and that is on the one, we can't assume um, that, that imitating Christ and being a witness to him is something we can do passively. We, we must actually, we must take action, we must do things. And on the other hand, hearing that, you know, the, the starting place is really not doing anything, it's simply just listening and being willing to weep. Um, it, it somehow has to both of these. It, it can't ultimately just be one of these. How, how do we, how does someone hearing this say, I, I'm willing to weep with someone, but I, I don't know how to fix things. I'm going to try to fix it rather than just sit around listening to people, you know, um, in their sadness. So how, how, how does a Christian, how am I supposed to witness to Christ by, by navigating both of these things? I think the first thing is to, is to remember that listening and weeping are actually the first two actions. Hmm. Um, so that, so that when we think, but even we tend to think of listening uh, as passive, and I'm not saying you were saying that, but we tend to no, think no. of listening as passive. We tend to think yeah. of weeping as passive, and that's not doing anything to help solve a problem or contribute to a particular situation. When I think those are actually, actually the absolute necessary starting points and the absolute necessary first mm -hmm. actions mm -hmm. that actually do begin to solve might be a bad word. Because I don't think this address. Is, yeah, yeah, address. Yeah. yeah, that do begin to address uh, racism and and injustice. Those are the first actions, in a mm. sense, especially mm. after we have uh, 
looked at things and like we talked about earlier, reframed things under this banner of sin and, and brokenness in the world, then listening and weeping, those are some pretty solid actions to mm. take to come alongside our brothers and sisters and do those things. And, and there might be further steps to take and more things to do, but to feel like a failure or feel like you've done nothing because you've done those two things is, is, uh, is not a helpful way for us to, to think. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I think it, <clears throat> it reminds me a lot um, as Keith sort of reframes um, listening and weeping as actually active things, you know, action items. Uh, I, I'm thinking a lot about um, that idea of waiting in the scriptures mm. Um, waiting for the day of the Lord. That mm. that also that that's that same idea. That's loaded it, at the front end. It feels oh well, that's a passive thing. We, there's nothing to be done. We're waiting for the day of the Lord for all of this to be worked out. And there's a sense in which that is true. Um, we're not expecting any of this to get fixed in mm. uh, God's new world. Doesn't start until I mean isn't finished and completed until he in Jesus comes and makes all things new and puts down all of uh, those who have exalted themselves against his holy reign, mm-hmm. all of that. And yet there is a way that we're meant to live anticipating that day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a helpful, that, that's what waiting looks like. It's living day to day, anticipating ultimate reality actually mm-hmm. arriving. Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah, is it fair think, to say that, is it fair to say that doing this, Keith, the way you describe it in Luke, that, um, cause we've, we've been wanting to get a theological framework on all of this, not only for our people, but for ourselves. Is that the first way to set the theological frame is to start? Because I, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking mourning actually reminds me that, I, that this is deeper, that the problem here is far deeper mm, than even mm-hmm. the pain of the person I'm listening to. Hmm. And so it is listening and mourning and weeping. Is that a first part simply because it will reframe us theologically in this matter? Yeah, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. I, I like what you're saying, Dan. I'd even want you to keep talking about it if you wanted to. But uh, I, Tim Keller talks about three aspects or three elements of, of justice. And one of them is a, a special concern. He says the Bible is always point us towards a special concern for the poor, whether it's the widow or the stranger or the orphan. And I think that mourning and lamenting uh, for different people groups is doing that. Mm. I think it is, it is showing a special concern or a listening ear or seeking to empathize and show compassion for uh, individuals and people who, who are hurting. And so, so in a sense, I think that is I can't say there's a sense in which, because Luke always says that. But so in a sense- <laughs> copyrighted think, the term. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that is an element of, of seeking or doing justice. If Mike is calling us to do justice, that is an element of it. So mm. coming alongside and lamenting and weeping is showing a particular concern for people who, who, are, who have been harmed or, or less in a less powerful situation. Who are more dependent. And that's the same, that's- that's uh, something that it seems like those four groups, especially in the prophets, in the, in, in the corpus of the prophets, seem to connect those, whether it's um, orphans or widows or poor or, or foreigner, they all are dependent. They're, they're greater dependence from those for their, for their life on a, a broader community. Yeah, and 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 seeing that and recognizing that is is an important first step. So so as we wind this down, one of the things I know you generally want to get to is just some discussion of of maybe some of the things that have been done. This is I know for for some people maybe the world's doing a lot more than the church is doing, mm-hmm. um, but the church is doing things, especially the the PCA is doing things. So I don't know if you want to address some of those things the church has already taken steps on and how we as a congregation are taking steps. Yeah. Well, I think um, Keith and I, we, we can kind of share a little bit about what our session is doing. And um, so maybe some of our people know this, and maybe many of them don't, but the PCA as a denomination had requested uh, a study committee be formed. 
and to study race, uh, particularly as it as as it relates to our own denomination, and to ask questions and to spend uh, some time thinking about what it, where is the PCA in relation to this discussion of race? What who are we? How how have we uh, sort of situated ourselves? Um, and this study committee produced a report. Uh, in, I, I guess the study committee was 2017 to 2018, and then the, the report was given, was it 2018 or mm -hmm. 2019, Keith? Yeah, 2018. 2018, the, the, the report was given to uh, the General Assembly. And uh, that, I think, is an interesting place for our uh, for us as a session to start. So what we did, the session... Um, first of all, read that report together and we talked about it and we you know, just thought about it together and asked what jumped out at you about this report and spent some time talking about that. Uh, Keith, what else did we do from there? Yeah, so the reports, I think it's 60 or 70 pages or something like that. And so we read through that. And then in the report, it does a biblical theology of race and addresses particular issues. And then it and then it recommends that sessions do some things. And the first thing it recommends is that sessions talk through, I don't remember the term that they use, but it really it's sort of sharing your autobiography and any interaction that you had with race throughout your history. So, so for some people that could be really, really limited. For some people that could be pretty heavy. So we all did that as a session. We went around and just talked about our life and talked about uh, assumptions that we grew up about race and interactions we had with, with different people throughout our lives. And so we did that uh, and also invited some people from our congregation to come in and share some of those stories as well. And then now the next thing we did, um, which is recommended is just to study something together. So we're currently working through a book by Erwin Ince. Erwin Ince was the moderator of General Assembly a few years ago. Um, he's an African-American pastor in Washington, D.C., and he wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Beautiful Community, and so we're reading through that book, uh, taking our time and just reflecting on it and responding to it and seeing how it's shaping our hearts. That's what we're currently doing right now, reading through that book, The Beautiful mm -hmm. Community, which I would recommend to anybody mm -hmm. uh, who would want to read it as well. Uh, Erwin Ince is a pastor. I don't know if you mentioned this in our denomination. I mean, I, they probably would have understood that if he was the moderator of our General Assembly. But yeah, he's a pastor in our denomination in DC um, who works with a group of uh, PCA churches in the DC area. And he directs, uh, uh, he's the director, is he the founder actually as well, uh, of the Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission. And so he's done a lot of thinking and writing about this from a reformed and, and Presbyterian, uh, doing it as a reformed and Presbyterian uh, in that context. So that's, that's been helpful and useful for us as a session. That's good. And one of the, one of the pieces too, I know that, that we've been wanting to communicate through this podcast and hopefully that those listening have gotten, I think they have from the comments I'm hearing is that, that this is an open dialogue Mm -hmm. um, an ongoing conversation. I, I don't want the, the congregation to hear that the session has figured this all out and landed on your <laughs> prescriptions. You must do this and this will solve the problem. In which case, it, it's as soon important. as COVID is done, we're going to make a new announcement that no, we've solved, we've solved it on this corner for this right. meeting. Uh, is, is, to, is to keep the dialogue open from the congregation back to session. And I've, I've talked with other folks in the church and just as a platform here for myself to say this, that I, I think I've heard people talk about the mask issue being one of them is the, the frustration. And then I say, well, who have you talked to about it? And they go, well, I, I don't really want to talk to anybody. I, I don't feel it's big enough for session to, to kind of deal with. And I've always pushed back on that saying that's the point of having a session in a Presbyterian mm -hmm. church is that they are the place you go to first not last. I'm mm -hmm. um, certainly a care group, but if if uh, if you're not sure who to talk to and you feel there's a serious issue to deal with on left, whatever perspective you're coming from on, mm -hmm. on, on a very touchy issue like this, the first most important thing to do is talk to someone. Mm -hmm. um, and I, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people afraid of how to be perceived, or I don't want this to become political. I don't want to upset anyone. Um, 
I just, if we can just as, as, a, as a group uh, confirm for those that are listening mm -hmm. to please come talk the session. Yeah, as Keith Store, Keith Store is always open uh, <laughs> to sit with you and to lament with you. And you know, this is a passcode. In Luke. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, that's so true, Dan. We, um, this is why we are a session is, is to shepherd and to have these conversations, not at the end when everyone is so angry and frustrated that they don't know what to do, mm. but from the beginning. Hmm. Yeah. The only other thing I would say is that um, like you said, Dan, if somebody listens to this and thinks, Oh man, you guys aren't going near far enough on race and pursuing justice, or they listen to this and say, I disagree with everything you said. And I don't think we should even be, yeah, I, I, no matter what, I would encourage people to come and talk to us. Uh, at the very least, it gives me an opportunity to practice what I preach and be a generous listener mm. and not be mm. suspicious uh, mm. uh, of someone coming. Mm. And so if, if, we're, if we're saying this is one of the first steps is generous listening and, and weeping and mourning and rejoicing together, then that is a great opportunity for us to mm. sit down uh, in an office or sit down in a coffee shop and talk through this multiple times in you know, ongoing conversation, because that's, if we're saying that's the first action step, then, then we, mm. I would love to start it here with our congregation. But I, I do have one sort of piece of advice. And that is if, if we're wanting to avoid suspicion, don't meet with Keith in a coffee shop because he doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> and that will make you automatically suspicious. At least the Starbucks staff will be very right. suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, suspicious of his humanity, deeply <laughs> suspicious. Well, gentlemen, I, I, I'm grateful for this. I, I'm not sure um, how many churches tackle it in this way. Um, to be vulnerable as pastors, you're, you're in the authority in, in a lot of ways over the church. And I know people in your position like to be seen as put together, um, so it's hard to come on and deal with something this difficult and admit, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm wrestling through this, and I, I think it's really mm -hmm. health, healthy for the congregation. So mm -hmm. um, I deeply appreciate what you've done in wrestling with this, and we'll look forward to the next podcast series. We'll do something a little lighter, like gender, sexual oh, yeah. identity or something. Maybe, like maybe uh, politics, maybe gender identity in politics. I, I don't know. We could, something easy. Something, yeah, exactly. Something light. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Dan. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.